Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Luke chapter number 2. And, of course, the uh, choir and the orchestra did a wonderful job. I'm always impressed and amazed how well uh, they do. And uh, that, was, that was very, very good. If I was not a pastor, I would learn to sing or learn to play an instrument so I could join them. And uh, they, they do a good job. I'm impressed by that. All right, well, we're continuing our series here on the Christmas spirit. And we've been looking at these different themes regarding the spirit of Christmas or the attitude of Christmas. And we started with joy and we saw peace. This morning we saw hope. And tonight I want to speak to you for just a few minutes. And I don't want to be very long tonight. Um, but I want to speak on the subject of goodwill. Goodwill. And I said this morning, it's more than just a thrift store. Usually when you think of goodwill, you think of a, of a store you go to. But it's called goodwill for a reason. And you're there in Luke chapter number 2. Of course, this is a famous passage on Christmas. And I just want to highlight for you this theme of goodwill in the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So we see that this idea of goodwill is a theme of Christmas. And the word goodwill is defined as, if you're not familiar with it, is defined as being friendly, helpful, cooperative, or having a feeling or an attitude that is good, or an attitude of kindness. And of course, when we talk about goodwill, we're talking about the fact that we should be kind and helpful, and that we should try to be kind and helpful to other people. And of course, we know that this is a theme for Christmas. Goodwill is a word that is used because of the fact that it's said here by the heavenly host at the day of the birth of Christ, glory to God in the highest, on peace, goodwill towards men. We know that that is a Christmas theme. We even sang about it this morning. I read to you from the first stanza of our course of the week, O Holy Night, in reference to the sermon this morning on hope. Tonight, I'd like to read to you from the second stanza of our course of the week, O Holy Night, in regards to this idea of goodwill. The song says this, we sing it, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. The next little phrase here is, in my opinion, it's my favorite part of this beautiful song, O Holy Night. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And this idea that is written about in this song And the idea that I want to talk about tonight is this idea of goodwill. The fact that the law of the Lord is love, and the Bible teaches us how we ought to treat one another. Now, we know that goodwill is a theme of Christmas, but let me just say this as well. It's not only a theme of Christmas, it is a theme of Christianity. Goodwill is a theme of just Christianity in general. Let's run a few verses tonight. You're there in Luke uh, chapter 2. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, the the book of Acts, after the books of Luke and John, you've got the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Acts 10, 38. We know that goodwill is a theme of Christmas, but it's also a theme of Christianity in general. Acts ten thirty eight says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, notice these words, who went about doing good who went about doing good. That's the the phrase, goodwill, 
is this idea that we should have a will or a willingness to do good, that we should have good will towards others. And the Bible tells us here about our Savior that he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You're there in Acts. Go to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 6. Just by way of introduction, let me show you this idea of goodwill throughout the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6. You go past Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. And look down at verse number 6. Do me a favor. When you get to the book of Ephesians, put a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it towards the uh, end of the sermon or later on in the sermon. We'll be coming back to Ephesians. So I'd like you to be able to get there quickly. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse 6. Here, the Apostle Paul is speaking to employees, to servants, and here's what he says to them. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Notice these words, doing the will of God from the heart, verse 7, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So we see that the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 10 went about doing good. And then the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in Ephesians, commands all of us to do good will, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Now keep your place there in Ephesians. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. And then also go with me to the book of Hebrews, towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13. If you start at the end, at the book of Revelation, and you go backwards, you'll have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews 13 and verse 16, notice this verse, Hebrews 13, 16, the Bible here is commanding us, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So here we're commanded not to forget these things, to do good and to communicate. We should not forget to do good and communicate with others, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now, I ask you to keep your place in Ephesians. I'm going to also ask you to keep your place in Hebrews, if you would. We're going to leave both, and we're going to come back to both, and I'd like you to get to them quickly. Hebrews chapter 13, and keep your place there, or a ribbon or something. Put something there so you can get to it. I want you to notice and understand that this idea of goodwill, of doing good to others, is a theme, yes, of Christmas, but it is also a theme of Christianity. And quickly tonight, I'd like to give you some thoughts in reference to showing goodwill, having goodwill. And of course, we should have goodwill during the Christmas season, but we should have goodwill during every season of the year because of the fact that we are Christians. And the Bible talks a lot about this idea of doing good and being good and and having good favor with God and with men. So let's just uh, run a few verses tonight. And like I said, I don't want to be very long, but let me give you some thoughts regarding this. Now you're in Hebrews and I'd like you to keep your place in Hebrews, but go to 1 Timothy. From Hebrews, if you go backwards, you got Philemon, Titus, 2 Timothy, 1 uh, 1 Timothy. Hebrews, Philemon, Titus, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. Keep your place in Hebrews. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. When it comes to goodwill, what exactly does that mean or what does that look like? What are we supposed to do in order to be able to have goodwill or show goodwill towards others. And the first thing that I want you to notice is that in order for you and I to show goodwill, we can show goodwill by giving. We can, go should, we can show goodwill by giving, which is why the thrift store is called Goodwill, right? Because they want you to donate to them. They want you to give stuff to them so that they could give it to others or sell it to you or whatever. 
The, the, the reason it's called goodwill is because they want you to give to them and they're trying to help the community or whatever. Well, that's an accurate name for a store like that because of the fact that goodwill has to do with giving. And I'm not, this is not a commercial for the Goodwill thrift stores tonight. I'm not, they're not giving me a commission uh, for preaching this. But the Bible does teach that as Christians, we should be willing to give. 1 Timothy chapter 6, notice the verses there, verse 17 1 Timothy 6.17, the Bible says, Charge them that are rich in this world. Charge them that are rich in this world. And when the Apostle Paul wrote these words and penned these words, when he had the idea of rich people in this world, he was thinking of you. And he was thinking of me. I mean, he was thinking of people like us. If you live in the United States of America in, in 2022, you are rich in this world. And the Bible says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Isn't that what rich people tend to get? They tend to become very arrogant, proud, obnoxious people. Paul says, look, it's good that you're rich, but don't be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. We talked about that this morning. Don't put your hope in gold. Don't put your hope in money, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who are you supposed to put your trust in? The living God. Notice what the Bible says, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. One way that you can keep from becoming high-minded or arrogant as a rich person is to remind yourself every day that it is God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That like Job, God has given you everything you have, and God can take it away like that. God can take it away at any moment he chooses, and he would be right to do so if he chooses to, because God is God. So here Paul is speaking to rich people. He says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in our certain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Notice verse 18. What does Paul want rich people to do? He says, that they do good. He said, you know what rich people should be doing? If God's blessed you financially, you've got uh, money and you, you have the ability, you're not just living paycheck to paycheck and you're not just struggling to make ends meet, but you've got some extra uh, money that, that, that you have to be able to spend. God says, you know what you should do with that? They, you should do good. Amen. That they do good. Notice the words, that they be rich in good works. Just because somebody is rich monetarily does not mean that they are rich in good works. Now you say, well, how, how can I be rich in good works, if I'm rich monetarily, notice the next three words, ready to distribute. Amen. What does the word distribute mean? It means to deal out, to give out, to give away. He says ready to distribute. Now, we're, we're against the liberals, right? Because they want to distribute wealth. And, and you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with distributing wealth. That's actually a biblical teaching. It's wrong when someone's forcing you. To, when someone's making you, they're taking your wealth and distributing it for you. That's called theft. But we should be willing to distribute our own wealth, ready to distribute. Notice these words, willing to communicate. Now, I just, I just attacked the liberals, right? Ready to distribute was an attack on the liberals. So here's an attack on the conservatives. Willing to communicate. You see that word communicate? It's the same root word where we get the word communism. And again, I, and I, the Bible doesn't teach communism, and I'm not saying that that's a concept we should embrace, but that's what the word means, this idea that we should be willing to share. Now, we shouldn't be willing, we shouldn't be okay with the government making us do it, but we should be willing to, uh, to distribute, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And then notice what he says. He says, when you 
are rich in this world and you are uh, uh, not high-minded and you are ready to do good, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Verse 19, the Bible says, when you do that, you'll be laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Because when you give on this earth, when you help others financially on this earth, you get credit for it in heaven. So he says, lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold on eternal life. So how can we do good? How can we do good uh, and, and, and have goodwill in our lives? Well, one way is by giving, by helping others out. You're there in 1 Timothy. Uh, go, to, go to Luke chapter 12, if you would. Luke chapter 12, towards the beginning of the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12 and verse 33 And what does the Bible say? How should we go about doing this? Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Sell that ye have, notice these words, and give alms. The word alms in our King James Bible is different from bringing an offering to church. An alm is charitable giving. An alm is when you help other people out. An alm is when you are aware of the fact that maybe there's somebody in need, maybe there's somebody that's struggling financially, maybe there's somebody that, that could use some help, and you choose to, to help them and to give them money. And of course, you want to be careful with that, with a couple of things. Number one, you want to be careful in the sense that you don't want to be doing it to be seen of men. The Bible says that when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. The other thing that you want to be careful about is that you don't enable people. Because a lot of times, especially in, in America, people think they're giving alms and all they're really doing is enabling a bunch of drug addicts and a bunch of lazy people. So, of course, you want to be careful with those things. But look, just because most homeless people don't need you to help them, in fact, it's a sin for you to help them because you're enabling them and you're helping them. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be looking for opportunities when people need help. The Bible says, sell that ye have, give alms. And notice what the Bible says. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in heaven that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither mouth corrupted. For where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. So the Bible teaches that we should give alms, and the Bible teaches that we should try to help people. And again, you want to be careful with that. You want to make sure you're not doing it to make a big show out of it, and you want to make sure you're not doing it where you are enabling somebody or, or helping somebody. And for a long time in this country, the way that uh, charitable giving and, and, and charitable help was done was done through the local New Testament church. Amen. It was not something that the government did. And, and I think that's how it should be done. The Bible teaches it. And I think one of the best reasons why that's how it should be done is because the local church can provide something that the government cannot, and it is accountability. Amen. Because every week of, of, our, of our church's existence, we get calls. Every week we get calls around here, people asking us for money, people asking us for, to pay their bills or pay their rent or get them groceries or whatever. And you know what we always tell people? We don't, we don't, pay, we don't give money to people, for, first of all. People we don't know. But you know what we tell everybody? Every single person that calls, we tell them, hey, you show up to church on Sunday morning, we'll get you groceries. You know how many people have taken us up on that offer in the last 12 years? Probably like three. 
Because, you know, because here's the thing, like, people are just looking for these handouts, but, but they should be willing to show up to church, because you know what they need is church. And so a church can, yes, it should be willing to distribute, ready to communicate, but it can also provide accountability. Not just sending checks to a bunch of people, and who knows what they're doing with that money. So the way that we show goodwill should be by our willingness to give. And let me just say this, you as an individual should be willing to give and to help people out if you know they're struggling, if you know they're not uh, doing uh, well, if, if you know that things aren't, aren't going well for them, you should be willing to help people, willing to, to distribute to them. And, you know, I always think it's funny because what ends up happening, e- even in churches like ours, is that just a bunch of rich people end up giving gifts to other rich people. It's like, oh, I'm going to do something nice. And they'll just like, a rich person gives a gift to another rich person. And it's exactly what Jesus talked about. Like, you're just giving gifts, hoping that you'll return, uh, that someone will return it back to you. But you know what we should be doing, especially during the holiday season, is looking for people that can actually use the help. Looking for people that could use the help, that could need the help, that could get the help, and trying to be a blessing to them. And not doing it in a way that is showy, not doing it in a way that is bringing attention to ourselves, and not bringing, uh, not doing it in a way that it's enabling people in their sin. This morning I was talking about how I was raised in a Christian home. My parents are both here, of course. And my parents have been married for 43 years. And uh, we, we moved, to, I was born in Venezuela, we moved to this country when I was four years old. I've been here my whole life. Yes, I am a citizen. And yes, I served in the United States Air Force, if, or whatever that's worth. And uh, I'm a veteran, my brother's a veteran, all right, so hopefully that means something to you. That means whatever credibility you need. But when we first got to this country, you know, my parents were, were in their 30s, and, and, and of course, my dad's a hard worker, and, and my parents are... are are very successful in, 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 in their jobs and careers and things they've, they've done in their lives. But when we first got here, we were, we, our, our family was struggling. And you know, I didn't know it at the time. I, I didn't know. But one of the beautiful things about growing up poor is that you don't know it. You know, you know, it's not until later. You're like, look, you look back on your memories, you're like, wait a minute. I think we were poor. <laughs> And, and you know, when you're, when you're an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old and you're like, I think that we were poor, that says a lot about the home you were raised in. Because we were happy and didn't even realize we were poor. They must have done something right in that sense. They didn't go around complaining about not having or whatever. But you know, one memory that I do have is in those early days, and I don't know how many times this happened. I, I feel like it, ha- it happened more than one time. I, I, I know it happened several times. I don't know how many times it happened, but I know in those early days when we were struggling... And, of course, we got here. And, of course, the first thing my parents do is what every Christian should do is get connected in a local New Testament church. And they didn't get connected in a local New Testament church because they were looking for a handout. They got connected in a local New Testament church because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to church. You say, well, we just moved here. Find a church and get there. But, you know, in those early years, I remember there were several times where we came home and there was just a bag of groceries on our front door. And, And we needed it. You know, I, I remember times and one day, you know, you can talk to my dad and let him tell you the stories. But I mean, there are times when 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 everything when we're low on, on everything and there's no food. And my dad was just praying just out of nowhere. A bag of groceries would show up. And we, to this day, we don't know who dropped those things. I mean, it might have been angels unawares. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, that that's what Christianity is. 
is people identifying needs, identifying the fact that, look, here's a family. The, the, the father's working. They just got here. They're not on drugs. They're in church. They're, they're just trying to live for God, and they could use some help. And just being willing to communicate, ready to distribute. And you know those people, God bless them, whoever they are. I don't know who they are. I don't know that I'll ever know who they are. But I know this, in heaven, they'll be rewarded for doing those good deeds. So we can show goodwill by giving. And, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know anybody in need and I don't know anybody to give to. Well, you know, let me just throw this in while we're talking about it. You can always give to the local church. If you're just like, I have lots of money and I don't know who to help. All right, well, help Verity Baptist Church reach this community with the gospel of Christ. All right. So don't tell me I don't know who to give. We can find someone for you to give to. Go to James chapter 2. If you kept your place in Hebrews, right after Hebrews, you have the book of James. Please continue to keep your place in Hebrews, but go to James chapter 2. We're talking about ways in which you can give. And by the way, some of you young people, just, just realize, I, I think young people, sometimes they, they don't realize how fortunate they are. And, and the, the, the things that have been done for you and the struggles that your parents had before you. And, and instead of becoming a spoiled brat that complains about everything, you should just learn to be grateful for what you have. And not sit there and complain about what you perceive not to have. In James chapter 2 and verse 14, we find the second way in which that we can show goodwill. The first way is that we can show goodwill by giving. The second way is that we can show goodwill by helping. Show goodwill by helping. Maybe you say, well, I'm not rich. I don't have any money to help anybody with that, so this doesn't apply to me. Okay, well, one way to show goodwill is by giving. But if you don't have money to give, Another way that you can show goodwill is by just helping somebody. Amen. James chapter 2 and verse 14. James 2, 14. This is the infamous passage on faith without works is dead. And I'm not preaching on that subject, but notice what he says here. James 2, 14. James says, what doth it profit? And that's the question that's being asked. When, when the argument of faith without works is brought up by James, the answer to the question, the, the question that's being addressed is, what does it profit? Not, not whether you have faith or not, is what does faith without works profit versus faith with works? That's the question that's being asked and addressed. What does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? I want you to notice, when you study the Bible, because this is, this is a passage that people get really confused about, and I'm not preaching on James 2, and I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole chapter or explain all that. I've preached a lot of sermons on that. If you're interested in that, let us know. We can send you links to sermons, and, and, and you can find other passages where we've delved into it. But people will get confused because here it says, can faith save him? And the assumption is the person can't be saved if they don't have faith in works. That's what the works, the, the works crowd will use this verse to try to prove. But I want you to understand that that's not the context because... You'll notice that James gives us an example, and then, he, and then he circles back around, and he repeats himself. And, I, and let me just say this as a way, uh, just to, to help you understand something regarding Bible study. Whenever the Bible repeats itself, you ought to pay attention. Amen. When the Bible repeats itself, it's for emphasis. God is trying to show you something. When it repeats itself, and then it repeats itself immediately, that's emphasis. 
when it repeats itself, it tells you something, and then it repeats itself again, you really need to pay attention to what was in between those repetitions because it is sandwiched in with those phrases for a reason. God is trying to draw something to your attention. Notice what James says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Here's the illustration. Here's the example, verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. Did you get the illustration? You've got a brother or sister who's naked. They don't have enough clothing to warm themselves. And they're destitute of daily food. They don't have food. And you become aware of that. And you say to them, you say really nice things. You say, depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. I mean, think about that. you got a naked person. And obviously, are they literally naked down to what we would consider naked? This is an illustration. And I don't think that that's what James is referring to. And if he is, he's using hyperbole. But he's saying, look, you got a person who doesn't have the adequate clothes they need. They're cold, and then you say to them, warm up. I hope you get warm. Be ye warm. And they're hungry, and you say, and filled. I hope you get warm, and I hope you get full. Notice what he says, last part of verse 16. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful. So you tell them, I hope you get warm, but you don't give them anything to help them warm up with. You tell them, I hope you get full, but you don't give them anything to feed, for them to eat. He says, and one of you, uh, 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 verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. Notice the words, what does a prophet What he's saying is that simply telling somebody or expressing faith to them, I believe that you're going to be warmed and filled, but you don't actually work or do anything to help them, that's not going to profit them anything. That's not going to save them. Because the word save is not always talking about spiritual salvation. And what James is telling us here is he's telling us sometimes it's not enough to just say nice things or to say words, and look, we like to tell people we're praying for them, and I try to, to the best of my ability, if I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them, I try to pray for them. In fact, if I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I try to pray for you right then and there so that I don't forget, and not, I try not to tell people I'm praying for them and not praying for them. Uh, but look, sometimes we need to stop praying and just go help somebody out. One of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? And by the way, this is one of the reasons why we have a clothes closet at this church, where people can donate clothes and, 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 and put clothes. Why? Because sometimes people show up here, and they don't have a lot, and we can help them and say, hey, look, we've got clothes here, and we'll help you out with groceries. Well, of course, we're not going to enable somebody in their sin, but look, the Bible says that you can be helpful to somebody. If you say to somebody, be warm and filled, but you don't clothe them or feed them, then are they still cold and hungry? And the answer is yes. And if you say to them, be warm and filled, but you don't clothe them or feed them, did you profit them anything? And the answer is no. You're there in James 2. Look at James 1. Just flip over to James chapter 1. James 1, 27. 
Notice these words. Pure religion. Today people don't like that word religion. They get away from it. All these liberals constantly want to say, oh, I, I'm not in a religion, I'm in a relationship. You know, I don't, I don't have a problem with the word religion because it's a Bible word. Now, I realize that false religion is bad, obviously. But here, James is not talking about false religion. He's talking about pure religion. So he says, look, here's pure religion. What's pure religion? Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To come into a building very somberly and do some sort of ritual. Is that what pure religion is? Notice what he says. Pure religion and undefiled before God is this. To visit the fatherless. What's pure religion? To find some kid that wasn't raised by his dad and to go spend time with him. I was abandoned by his father. To visit the fatherless, or, or their fa- his father died. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Find some widow. And here, of course, in the first century, the fatherless and the widow were the most exploited, the weakest in society, those who were struggling the most, those who people would not look upon or would, would see as some sort of a, a, a burden to society. And James says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And look, I need you to understand something because I feel like sometimes we as fundamentalists, we like to go on these extremes. Always be careful about extremes. You'll find in the Bible that our God is a very balanced God. And here's what fundamentalists, or here's what Christians, the extremes they like to go on. One extreme is they want to just give and help everybody. To the extent, and this is what the liberals do, to the extent where they're just enabling a bunch of drug addict homeless people. And then you got the fundamentalist crowd who they don't want to help anybody. They don't want to do anything. In their opinion, anyone who's struggling and anybody who's poor, in their opinion, anybody like my family was when I was four and five and six years old and not able, not, not having the, the money and not having the groceries to, to, to make it through the week, then there must be something wrong with you. Hey, let me tell you something. Yes, a lot of people out there that are homeless and they're struggling are bad people, but they're not all bad people. There are some people that are going to work, working hard, and they're just struggling. They're just not making it. And you know what you could do, rich guy, is help them. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Notice, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. One of these days I'm going to preach an entire series called Pure Religion. And I want you to notice the two factors to pure religion. You want to, you want to know what God considers being a religious person? Well, one is the practice of separation. To keep himself unspotted from the world. To not be involved in worldly and sinful things. That's one aspect of it. But the other aspect is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. To find the less fortunate and help them. To find those who need your help and be a blessing to them. Go to 1 John chapter 3. If you're there in James, you're going to go past 1 and 2 Peter into 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. You say, how can I show goodwill? Well, you can show goodwill by giving. And if you say, well, I don't know who to give to, well, give to the local New Testament church. They'll make good use. I know this church will make good use of it. 
Number two, you can show goodwill by helping. 1 John 3.17 But whoso hath this world's goods, that's you, that's me, hath this world's good, what does that mean? They have the ability to help. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And the idea there, of course, is that if you have the ability to help and you don't, then how can you say that you have the love of God? How can you say that you have good will? Now, let me just point something out here. When the Bible says, but whoso hath this world's good, that is a reference to the ability to give. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, the ability to help. Obviously, God doesn't expect you to give of that which you don't have. And God doesn't expect you to help if you don't have the ability to help. But when you have the ability to help, And when you've been helped by others, you should return the favor and not shut up your bowels of compassion for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can have goodwill by giving, and we can have goodwill by helping. And let me just answer the question, because I know the question is is in some of your minds. Because you say, well, I don't know who to give. Okay, well, let me, if you don't, it's because you're not paying attention. It's because you haven't opened your eyes, because there's lots of people to help. And lots of people that you can, you can give to. But you say, I don't know who to give to. You can always give to the local New Testament church. Because the local New Testament church is always helping people. Amen. And if you say, well, I don't know who to help. Show goodwill by helping, by serving others. By finding the ones that need to be fed and feeding them. And have, finding the ones that need to be clothed and clothing them. Well, I don't know anybody like that. Okay, well then let me just say this. If you don't know where to help and you don't know where to serve, you can always serve in the local New Testament church. Amen. I always think it's interesting when people come to a church like this and they don't do anything. I'm like, I'm not against you if you don't do anything, but you ought to make yourself useful. And, and look, it's not just this church. I mean, anywhere in life, wherever you go, you should make yourself useful. Amen. You should learn to ask this question, how can I help? How can I help? Don't, don't show, if you show up to church, look around. How can I help? And when people come to a church like this, and all you do is sit there like a log. I mean, we're glad you sit there. At least you're doing that. But you know, you ought to get involved in the work of God. You ought to get involved in the things that we are doing as a local New Testament church. Let me just say a couple of things regarding helping and working and serving. One is this. Look, you need to get involved and you need to get on board. One day, I don't remember. I I know um, Brother Jose who told me this. I think he said he heard a pastor say this in a sermon. There's two illustrations that Brother Jose has told me that he heard uh, a pastor say in his past. And they've... They've always impacted me or been a blessing to me. One is that a local church is like, like, like an ant hill. And if you, if you watch ants, and this is the illustration. If you don't like the illustration, this offends you. You can take it up with Brother Jose, all right? He's the one that told me this illustration. He said if, if you're ever like at a park, like at a picnic or something, and, and you watch ants, you know, what do they do? They're scavengers, right? They go around, they're looking for food, they pick up the food, ants can carry more than their own body weight, and a lot of times they work together and they carry that food back to their ant hill so that they can feed their community. Well, what's interesting is that when you watch these ants, you know what you watch? You watch some ants that are carrying the load. They're carrying the crumb of food, 
And sometimes it's one or two or three or however many of them are working together to carry the food. And then you'll watch other ants who are kind of around them, not carrying anything. They're just there while the other people do the work. And then there's another section of ants that are worse than the ones that are not helping because they're on top of the food. (laughs) They're being carried by the ants. And let me tell you something. You know what kind of ant you want to be at Verity Baptist Church? The one that's helping carry the load. And if you're not going to help carry the load, at least don't be a burden. At least don't be riding on top of while others are trying to work and get things done and accomplished. Look, I don't know what kind of homes you guys grew up in, but let me tell you something. The the home I grew up in, it was this. Get to work! Get up, work, help, serve! Don't just sit around doing nothing, watching other people work, sitting there on your phone all day, doing nothing. Hey, say, I can get involved. You say, I don't know where I can get involved at Verity Baptist Church. Learn an instrument, join the orchestra, learn to sing, join the choir, learn to use a broom, and show up to the cleaning crew. I can help you figure it out. I don't have any talents. I think we can help you learn how to push a broom. Might take several weeks of training, but I think we can get it done. (laughs) How can we show goodwill? The problem is not that you can't sweep. The problem is that you're lazy. And that may not be able to be taught. Number one, show goodwill by giving. Number two, show goodwill by helping. Then number three, show goodwill by caring. Show goodwill by caring. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Like I said, goodwill is not just a theme of, Christ, uh, of Christmas, it's a theme of Christianity. And in Christianity, you've got these different rules. Not for salvation. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We're talking about for living the Christian life. There are rules for how you're supposed to do it. Say, so what are the rules? Well, one rule is a very famous rule. You'll probably know it as soon as I say it. It's referred to as, or it's been titled, the golden rule. Right? The golden rule. That's from the Bible, by the way. <laughs> Matthew 7 and verse 12. I know every politician likes to quote it and never reference that it came from the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's the golden rule. What's the golden rule? The do unto others as you would like for them to do unto you. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. By the way, the golden rule is not to treat people the way you've been treated. It's to treat people the way you would like to be treated. Okay, treating people the way you've been treated, that's a carnal rule. Proverbs 24, 29, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read this for you. The Bible says in Proverbs, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. That is not a Christian attribute. We should not say, well, I'm just going to treat people the way they've treated me. That's not Christianity, that's carnality. The golden rule is that whatsoever ye would, whatsoever ye, the, the term would is what you want. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. The golden rule is this. Treat people the way you'd like them to treat you. Not treat people the way they've treated you. No, that is not the golden rule. The golden rule is you treat them the way you would like to be treated. 
What you would want them to do for you, that's what you should do for others. Do unto others as you would like to be done unto you. That's the golden rule. Now, you're there in Matthew chapter 7. Go to Matthew 22 real quickly. Matthew 22. We talked about the fact that the golden rule is not to treat people the way you've been treated. That's carnality. That's why we have so many problems in church. Why? Because people, well, I'm just going to do to them as they did to me. You didn't get that from the Bible. You didn't get that from the Word of God. The Bible doesn't say to treat people the way they treat you. The Bible says to treat people the way you'd like to be treated. And look, this is the genius of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know he's God in the flesh. This rule is so simple, just yet so complex. Because in any relationship, in any relationship, at church, at home, at work, at school, whatever, in any relationship, if people just treated other people the way that they would like to be treated, you'd have no problems. You'd have absolutely no problems. So you have the golden rule. It comes from this idea that we should love people as we love ourselves. Matthew twenty two thirty nine. here's what Jesus said. He was asked about the greatest commandment. He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And then in verse 39 he says, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a connection to the golden rule. You treat people the way you'd like to be treated and you love people as yourself. Because we're really good at loving ourselves, aren't we? No one has to teach you on that. No one has to say how to love. You, you love yourself too much is a problem. So we're experts. So Jesus in his genius, he says, you are an expert at loving yourself, right? So start loving other people the way you love yourself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. That's the golden rule. I mean, that's basic Christianity, right? I mean, even the politicians will quote that. They won't do it, but they'll quote it. The golden rule. But that's not the only rule. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now, the golden rule is the most well-known rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But let me say this. If loving your neighbor is the golden rule, then in Matthew 5, you find the platinum rule. This is a step above the golden rule. The golden rule is just the start. Then you've got the platinum rule. Platinum is more valuable than gold. Matthew 5, 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Didn't we just talk about that? Jesus said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. By the way, Jesus said, you've heard that it had been said, but he's saying the Pharisees have said that. The Bible says to love thy neighbor, that is in the book of Leviticus, but nowhere in the Old Testament and nowhere in the Bible does it say to hate your enemy. That is something that was added by the Pharisees. They, they understood that Jesus said, love your neighbor, or the, that God said, that the Bible says, love thy neighbor. So then they thought, oh, okay, well, we should love our neighbors and hate our enemies. And Jesus is going to correct that here in Matthew 5, because he says, you have heard that it had been said. Remember, Matthew 5 is that Sermon on the Mount. This is where real Christianity comes to play. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is where God really deals with the hard issue. And he's saying here, Ye have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. Verse 44, But I say unto you, 
Here's the platinum rule. Because the golden rule is to love your neighbor as yourself. The platinum rule is this. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. I mean, that's where you really throw out this idea of treating people the way they treat you. Because he says, look, treat people the way you'd like to be treated. And then if the question is, well, what if they treat me badly? He says, well, you're not paying attention because I didn't say treat people the way that they treat you. I said treat people the way you'd like to be treated. But if you need clarification on the golden rule, then see the platinum rule. The platinum rule is this. Love your enemies. So even when they do you wrong, do them right. But I say unto you, love your enemies. And then, because Jesus knows we're hard-headed, he gives us some examples. He says, bless them that curse you. Now, of course, we see the word curse here. We know that this is bringing a curse upon you or some sort of damnation. We use the term like a curse word, which is not really the sense, but let's just go ahead and use that. They start cussing you out. You don't cuss them back. You bless them. Bless them that curse you. Here's our goodwill. Do good. To them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. People have to say, well, that person just using me. Well, you know what the Bible says? You should pray for them. You should bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I'm just telling you, this is Christianity. It's not just a theme in Christmas. It's a theme of Christianity. Goodwill. How do you do it? You apply the golden rule. Do unto others. You apply the platinum rule. Love your enemies. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Now if whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them is the golden rule. Which it is. Then love your enemies has to be the platinum rule. Right? Because that's harder. Harder than treating people the way you'd like to be treated is treating people right when they're mistreating you. Love your enemies. But I want you to notice there's a third rule. Now, if the first one's the golden rule and the second one's the platinum rule, this one's the diamond rule. Because this is even harder than the first two. John 13, 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you. Now, when Jesus says that, your ears should perk up a little bit because it's like, wow. I mean, the Bible's full of commandments. I mean, all the way in the Old Testament, we got commandment after commandment after commandment. We got the Big Ten. Then we get into the New Testament, and, and Jesus dwindles down the Big Ten, which represent all the commandments in the Old Testament. There's more than Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. But the Big Ten kind of is a synopsis of all of the commandments in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, because Jesus realizes as technology gets further along, we we have less and less of an attention span. So he takes the ten and he says, okay, I know that one day you're going to have phones that have internet and you're not going to be able to pay attention for more than ten seconds. So let me just dwindle down these ten to two. If you can't remember the ten, which unfortunately most Christians can't even quote the Ten Commandments. Then he says, here's the two. The two is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and love thy neighbor as thyself. On these hang all the commandments. So he dwindles down the ten to the two. And he says, if you can do these two, because here's what God is saying. If you can do these ten, you'll probably not break any of the other commandments. That's too hard, we say. So he says, okay, well, let me give you the big two. 
Because if you can do these two, you probably won't break the 10. And if you don't break the 10, you're probably not going to break all these other ones. So the big two is this. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And love thy neighbor as thyself. And then we look at that and we say, still too hard. So then Jesus, in his, in his infinite wisdom, says, okay, let me dwindle down the two to one. One hybrid of the two. One commandment. He says, a new commandment I give unto you. And when he said these words, the disciples probably perked up a little bit and said, okay, because there's lots of commandments that God has given. There's lots of commandments that Jesus has given already. So a new commandment, a new one? What is he going to say? A new commandment I give unto you. And then he says these words, that ye love one another. And the disciples probably thought to themselves, the same thing that some of you who are paying attention thought to yourself when I said it, and it's this. That's not new. You, we've already been told that. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. You already told us in Leviticus to love thy neighbor as thyself. You already told us to love our enemies. You've already been telling us to love our wives and love our husbands. You've already been telling us to love one another. How is this a new commandment I give unto you? A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. And they are probably thinking to themselves like, that's not new. And Jesus says, wait a minute, that's not the new part. The new part is this, that ye love one another as I have loved you. He says, if the golden rule's not enough, if the platinum rule's not enough, he said, let me give you the diamond rule. The diamond rule is this, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. It, you say, I can't love them like I love myself. Okay, but can you do this? Can you love them like Jesus loves them? Amen. Because Jesus prayed for the people that were putting him on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you say, I'm not mature enough, I'm not spiritual enough to be able to love them the way I'd like to be uh, treated, to treat them the way I'd like to be treated. I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not mature enough to be able to love my enemies. Okay, but can you love them like Jesus loves you? Because he forgives you every time. Because he puts up with you every time. Because he doesn't quit on you and give up on you and get frustrated on you. You don't lose your salvation. It's one of the great tenets of salvation. Eternal security in Christ. Amen. He always forgives. He never quits. He never gives up. He never says, I'm done with you. So you got the golden rule and you got the platinum rule. And if those don't work, then you've got the diamond rule. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. That's not the new part. The new part is this. As I have loved you. This is Christianity. It just means that we're nice to each other. It just means that we're kind to each other. It just means that we do good to each other. Go to 2 Thessalonians if you would. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you kept your place in Hebrews, we're almost done. Remember I said when you get, get, keep your place in Hebrews, keep your place in Ephesians? We're going to look at those right now. If you kept your place in Hebrews... If you go backwards from Hebrews, you have Philemon, Titus, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. Hebrews, Philemon, Titus, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. We're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to not be rude to each other. We're supposed to not have bad attitudes. You should have the right spirit as a Christian. It's amazing to me. 
what Christians think it's okay, the, the way they treat people and they talk to people and they act with people. And, and I think to myself, you think this is okay? And sometimes I just see how the way couples talk to each other. And I think to myself, you're doing this in front of the pastor. I mean, this is probably like your best behavior. You know, everybody's always on their best behavior. They're the most spiritual around the pastor. I'm thinking to myself, if you're doing this in front of the pastor, it's got to be bad at home. <laughs> but you know what would solve all that? Is if you just decided, I'm going to be nice. Amen. I'm going to show goodwill. I'm going to be caring. And I'm going to be helpful. And I'm going to give. I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm just going to be a nice person. I'm not going to complain. Look, let, let me just let you in on a little secret. The Bible says a man that hath presence must show himself friendly. Amen. And just let me help you out with something. Nobody likes a bragger. Nobody likes a jerk. Nobody likes a rude person. Nobody likes a complainer. Nobody likes someone who's negative all the time. So if that's you, say, Pastor, what do I do? Stop it. <laughs> Just decide I'm going to have goodwill. I'm going to be positive. Obviously, sometimes we have to fight battles, and we understand that. But I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to try to not fight with people and argue with people. I'm going to show goodwill. And if I need the golden rule, I use the golden rule. And if I need the platinum rule, I use the platinum rule. And if I need the diamond rule, I'll use the diamond rule. But bless God, I'm going to be nice. That should be your goal. Look, it's Christmas. Don't be Ebenezer Scrooge. And for those of you who don't read, don't be the Grinch who stole Christmas. <laughs> be nice. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 13. We'll finish up. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of well-doing. Don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of being kind. Don't be, and look, look, you don't, you don't have to be a pushover. You know that you cannot be a pushover but still be kind? No, you can be firm but respectful. Don't, just don't be, look, I, I, you, you, you watch grown men and they're just, this, they throw these little fits and just out about everything. It's like, you're a grown man. <laughs> I, they just made me so bad. Nobody made you mad. You're a grown adult. Are you serious? Just stop it. Just decide I'm not going to be that person. But ye the brethren, be not weary and well doing. Go to Galatians 6. We'll finish up right here. We're done. Galatians chapter 6. If you kept your place in Ephesians, remember I asked you to keep your place in Ephesians? Just right after Ephesians, you have Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We'll finish up right here. We're talking about goodwill. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of, the rep, uh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of it. You say, why? Here's why. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. And then don't miss verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good 
unto all men, especially, don't miss this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We should be kind to everyone. We should be nice to everyone. We should try to get along with everyone. But you know, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these passages of scripture. We've been learning about joy and peace and hope. And now goodwill. Lord, I just pray you'd help us to learn to be kind and nice. To watch the way we say things, things we do. To be mindful of others. To treat people the way not they treat us, but the way we'd like to be treated. To love our enemies. And if we can do neither one of those, then help us to just love people the way Jesus loves them. Or the way Jesus loves us. Help us to show goodwill in our lives. We love you in the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you a couple of things. Christmas gifts for Jesus. If you'd like to pick something up and drop it off at the drop-off section there, you're welcome to do that. We'd love for you to help us with that.